What a great message and text that was last week. If you missed it, I would really encourage you to go back and see what we spoke on in verses 19 through 24. I was encouraged all week by it. But this is another text that I have fallen deeply in love with. Uh, it is an amazing text that God gives us to help encourage us. The verses read this. Chapter 2, verse 25. But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, my fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need. Because he was longing for you all and was distressed because he had heard that he was, that he was sick. You had heard that he was sick. Verse 27. For indeed he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him and not only on him, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I have sent him all the more eagerly so that when you see him again, you may rejoice and I may be less concerned about you. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy and hold men like him in high regard because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. You may be seated. Father in heaven, we thank you for the word of God again. Now as we break it forth, I plead with you that your spirit would accompany the word, Lord, and it would burden us and carry the truths, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would do this for your glory, Lord. I am not on my own capable of doing this. And so we pray for the work of the spirit in all of our lives this morning, Lord, as he takes what is the Lord's and gives it to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we come to the end of chapter two. We are halfway through the book of Philippians and I am just really experiencing great joy as I study this and learn this great book. It's been many years since I had taught through it and have enjoyed it immensely. But towards the end of chapter two, God has given us great encouragement of three men that's really been highlighted in this text. In this text, starting in verse 17 and 18, we saw a great statement on the Apostle Paul. He said, if I'm to be poured out like a drink offering or as a drink offering upon the sacrifice of service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. And so we stopped and we looked at what that meant. Paul had poured his life out like hot wine on the altar that vaporizes to God. That's how he saw his life. He didn't know if he was going to die, and so he uses the tense, if this is going to be true. He poured his life out for the Lord Jesus Christ. Last week, we looked at Timothy. Timothy, who was a silent assistant, it seemed like, who shared a soul with Paul, we learned, like-minded, a shared soul. He was completely like-minded in every way. He wanted to see the gospel go forward. That was his goal, to see the furtherance of the gospel be made. We looked at nine areas within the text that were unique to Timothy in his ministry and should be unique to us as servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we come to this man, Epaphroditus. He's another co-worker of Paul, yet he has a unique role. He is one that is not spoke of often. He's not an apostle. He's not even Timothy. In fact, the Bible is fairly silent about Epaphroditus, except in this text. 
There's nothing on his family. There's nothing on his friends. There's nothing about his calling, such as we see in Timothy and Paul and many others. There's no background to him. There's nothing even given of his role in the church of Philippi. Is he a pastor? Is he a missionary? Is he, who is he? There's just nothing there. His name is a unique name. Epaphroditus means loved by Aphrodite, the Greek goddess of love that the Romans called Venus. So probably like Timothy, we realize through his name that he was raised in Greek culture, probably Greek educated. His name was popular and, and often shorted, Epaphras, which causes some to think maybe that's possibly him spoken of in Colossians, where you see twice as this name, Epaphras, is mentioned in Colossians 1, 7, and 4, 12. But I don't think it is. I think the name was super popular that it was often shortened um, and given to many people. In fact, in, as I looked and read on it, that it was a, one of those you know, name of the year type of names. You know, you go see how many, what names, the top 10 names, some of the little babies in here. Uh, you went through all that not too long ago. Um, he was in the top names and it was shortened to Epaphras. And the reason I think that it's not the same guy in Colossians is I don't believe that he would have been able to um, both get to Colossae and Philippi in the very sick condition that he was in too close a time frame. So I think Epaphras of Colossae is probably a different man than this man. But here's what is encouraging to me is that Epaphroditus is a nobody. Anybody ever feel like a nobody? This message is for you. He's a nobody. People forget his name, maybe, or forget that he serves in some ways. You know what this is like. You walk down the road and nobody knows you exist. This is the type of man Epaphroditus seems to be. He's not well known in the scriptures. He's not a person often mentioned. We don't see him at the end of Paul's letters where he lists person after person after person who is serving alongside him. He is just mentioned here. Now, I want to say this. I want you to hear this. God loves to use nobodies. I remember Steve Fernandez, when we founded the seminary in Vallejo, he said, I remember him telling me directly, Scott, we're a bunch of nobodies. That's why God wants us to do this. And I'm trying to put the two thoughts together. So for nobodies, how are we going to do this? <laughs> And he said, no, God loves to use nobodies. I never forgot that. He loves to use men and women, boys and girls who serve him simply because they love the one who loved them first. Did you get that? He loves to use men and women, boys and girls, who know and understand that God loved them first before they ever loved God. He loves to use those type of people. Paul thought of himself as a nobody. Do you know that? We see him as Apostle Paul, the great apostle, writer of 13 epistles, planter of the New Testament church in many cases. He says this about himself in 2 Corinthians 12, 11. He says, I have, I have become foolish. You yourself compel me. Actually, I should have been condemned by you. For in no respect was I inferior to the most eminent apostles. And then he says this, even though I am a nobody. He calls himself a least of apostles. 
Paul saw himself this, and the reason he does that is because he loves Christ. And when you love Christ, you are willing to slide into the background and not be heard or not be seen. Even though preachers stand in front and boldly proclaim the word of God, our prayer often is, oh Lord, do not let them hear and see us. May they hear you. We prayed those prayers this morning in my office. So today I want to learn from one of the most well-known Christians, that's Paul, of one of the least known Christians in the Bible. I want to learn today. And I want you to learn with me of who this is, and then I want to apply it to our lives. So both these men were men who loved Christ-centered servanthood. So I got four thoughts for you this morning as we'll look through the text together. They seek... These Christ-centered servants, they seek a Christ-centered ministry rather than titles. They seek a Christ-centered ministry rather than seeking titles. Clearly, the church in Philippi must have trusted Epaphroditus. They, They must have saw something in him. He was had to be highly regarded to be chosen to take this gift. He is bringing some kind of gift, and he's coming to minister to Apostle Paul. And where is Paul right now? Prison, right? He's chained. He's in prison. He's not doing well. This is not going to the Marriott to go visit him. There's not a big conference going on in San Jose, and we're going to go up and see him. He's in prison. So, Clearly, the church in Philippi must trust Epaphroditus with this message, with this gift, with this ministering opportunity to a man in prison. It's not clear that he was in leadership in the church. There's nothing that tells us he was. But what is clear is the church believed that he met Paul's high standards to come minister to him. You go, what do you mean by that? Well, when you study the life of Paul, you begin to realize he had extremely high standards. And it wasn't just because Paul said, hey, you come up to my standards. I want you to be very clear on this. He knew that Christ had blood-bought the church. And he did not want foolishness in the church. He was extremely serious about who cared for the church and who was allowed to minister within it. Let me show you this. I want to give you this example. Go to Acts chapter 15 with me. And a lot of people get upset over this passage because of the way Paul dealt with John Mark here. But I want to give you a different view of of what we look at when we look at this text, how serious Paul is about carrying the gospel. It is not something frivolously done. That's why we challenge anybody who stands in this pulpit or teaches our children or teaches a home group, study, know the Bible. You You have taken a great Uh, You've been given a great responsibility to say, thus says the Lord. It is not something we take lightly in any shape or form, no matter what age we stand before. But notice in Acts chapter 15, verse 36, the discussion of the second missionary journey is begun and who's going where and how this is going to happen. Verse 36, after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaimed well, we've already been and preached the word of the Lord and see how they are, right? Missionary journey number two. We're going to go back and see how things are going. Lots of conversations that aren't in the Bible here probably took place. Oh, Paul, they tried to kill us several times. Paul, they stoned you and left you for dead. Remember they chased us from city to city. Yep, we're going back. You got to like this guy. Verse 37. Now, who's going and how are we going to do this? 
Barnabas wanted to take John, called Mark, along with them. Hmm, sounds like a good plan. Verse 38, but Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the, to the work, to the work of the service, to, to the work of Christ. We'll see that in our text. He abandoned them in a very difficult time. Paul sets very high standards here, so much that him and Barnabas get in a disagreement. Look at verse 13. And there occurred such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another. Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left. I think Silas probably later realized, man, I should have went with Barnabas because I ended up getting beat and put in prison. (laughs) And John Mark's off doing whatever him and Barnabas did. But notice this, being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. Now, it's an interesting text, and there's a lot of questions people ask about this text. Who was right and who was wrong? I don't know. I'm not standing here to make judgment of that. But I'll tell you what. The Apostle Paul knew what they were engaging was serious. This has eternal consequences on souls of people of what they're doing. And so he set extremely high standards within the ministry. And this got around. This was not not just known in a corner somewhere. They knew the standards that Paul set. That's why they often wrote nasty things to him, as such the Corinth church did. They did not like the standards Paul set. But remember, he's not setting them because he was a wonderful person. Remember, he's beat up for Christ. He is stoned for Christ. He's beaten. He's been gone through everything. He's not doing this for his own glory. He's doing it for the work of Christ. So I mention all that in Acts 15 to take you back to our text and realize that there's something about Epaphroditus that this church sees that they say, we can send him to the Apostle Paul because he will meet the high standards that Paul has in the work of the ministry, in the work of Christ. It seems Epaphroditus had a true Christ-centered servant heart He truly loved the Lord and he desired to serve him even though there was great risk. Epaphroditus was one of those guys that every church needs. In fact, we need a lot of them. We need men who are not after titles. Women who are not after positions. We need those who are willing to say, what does God want done? How can I be a part of these things? You know what's so interesting as I study this text is I realize we do things for the glory of Christ, not for titles, and thus that's why I wrote this point. But God often gives you titles to recognize what you've done. Notice what Paul does in verse 25. I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. Now look at these three titles. There's actually five in here. With the first three, my brother, the the possessive pronoun my there is carried over to my work fellow worker and my fellow servant. I mean, a soldier. So he gives this list of titles. It reminded me of 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6, and it says, Therefore, humble yourself before, before the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt you in due time. See, I don't think Epaphroditus went there and said, Man, when I get done, he's going to call me my, my, my brother. He's going to call me my fellow uh, worker and fellow soldier. Okay, I'll do it. I'll get those titles. 
I think he just had a burden. I think he wanted to go minister to, to this man who was in jail for the cause of Christ, for the gospel. I think he wanted to represent the church that was, that was grateful for Paul coming and preaching the gospel in a difficult place. And he just responded to the call of God, to the, to the Holy Spirit, pricking his heart. And I know there's a question, Lord, how do I know? The Lord will prick your heart if you are listening. And he'll push you towards a ministry, push you to do something. I want to look at these titles briefly, though. They're connected to this possessive pronoun of mine. His first title is given by this great apostle Paul, calls him my brother. And I don't think this is, hey, bro. <laughs> I don't think that's a kind of deal, you know. And, and we all know that he's a brother in Christ because Christ died for them. But it's an endearing term. It's a very special term. I know this a little bit. I'll see missionaries and brothers in, in the Lord that I've served with over the years. And we're spread out across the country, across the world. And, and um, you run into a man and you just throw your arms around him. And you go, "My man, my brother, it's so good to see you. And we haven't been able to talk. We've maybe emailed. We haven't seen each other for a long time. We've all gone through difficult things in the ministry. We're all trying to care for souls and exalt Christ in the battle that we're in. And we see each other. It's just an embrace of brotherhood that just warms your heart. I get this. And I think it's a tremendous title that God gives this nobody. He's, he's Paul's brother. He's kindred spirit. Notice the second title, he says, my fellow worker. This term is used 13 times in the scriptures and 12 of them by Apostle Paul. This is one of his favorite terms that he gives to others. He says, my fellow worker, we together strive to do the work of God. It refers to a dear partner in the ministry. And you go, well, this is the only time we've ever heard of him. He's nowhere in the Bible. But there's an impact here. There's, there's more than probably that's given in here, but there's an impact that he says, look, this is my dear partner in ministry. Paul cites it to all the major workers in the ministry. But here to a nobody, Epaphroditus, his fellow worker. Third title that God grants Epaphroditus in this text by the apostle is a fellow soldier. What a fascinating term to give to a man who just wanted to see Jesus glorified. Paul was chained to soldiers. Many times he'd been chained to soldiers. He knew them very well. In fact, he knew them so well, he, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, describes their armor to the T in Ephesians chapter six as the Christian who stands firm in spiritual warfare. He knew soldiers. He was very familiar with them. And he uses this term, so he's not throwing it around lightly. He says, this is my fellow soldier. There's some soldiers in here. And I like talking to them. I never went to war in the battlefield. And it's interesting to talk to men. Sometimes I ask them this. I said, who do you want in that Humvee with you? Who do you want behind that wall. What kind of man do you want? You should ask a soldier sometime who that is. And then don't leave it there. Translate that over to biblical thinking. What kind of man do you want standing next to you? What kind of woman do you want standing next to you as a soldier for the Lord Jesus Christ? 
One who runs? One who can't make a biblical decision? One who blame shifts onto somebody else? That's a very dangerous person to be in a foxhole with, I think. Paul calls them my fellow soldier. These are terms that are strong. He writes similar terminology to Timothy. He says, 2 Timothy chapter 2, 3 and 4, he says, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Get shot at. Get hated by the enemies of Christ. If you're a soldier, you gotta know somebody wants you dead. They don't go, hey, look at the guys in the nice shiny tanks. They want to kill you. These are not lightly given terms. He goes on to say in verse 4, no soldier in active service. I love that little phrase, active service. You know, this isn't a soldier on leave. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life. So that he may please the one who enlisted him. Whoa, that's a soldier. Hey, I can't entangle myself in that. I'm serving Jesus. I got papers. I got marching orders. See, I love the term. Are you a soldier for Christ? Will you march? Will you, like Paphroditus, risk your life for the sake of the gospel? That's an amazing thought. See, Paul took this and applied it to Ephroditus. He says, a fellow soldier. He didn't say, I'm a captain, you know, you're a private. He actually uses a term of equality. You go, wait a minute, he's the apostle. He's the big wig. I mean, come on. Well, we'll be in line behind him someday. No, no, he says, fellow soldier. Right here. This is my equal soldier. We've gone to war together. We've bled together, and we've suffered together. Fourth title, he says this. He says, who also, who is also your messenger and minister to my needs? First, he says the messenger, therefore it's fourth title. He uses the word apostolos, which is the word we get for apostle, but, apostle, but it's also used most of the time in the scripture, sent as a messenger. He is a messenger. Think about this. If you had an ultra important message and a gift to give to somebody, who would you pick to send it? Not the internet. Don't go there. I know it's hard. We got to kind of think, you know, hand this to somebody and, you know, Bruce, will you go take this to somebody? Right? Who would you pick? I mean, it's ultra. It's, it's the savings the church has put together. They're, they're carrying it to this man to minister to his needs. They're, they're sent there. He's carrying letters from them, encouragement. It's precious to them who would be chosen to send this. Who would you pick? You'd pick a Christ-centered servant because he wouldn't do it for his own glory. He loves Christ more than he loves his position. And the church picked Epaphroditus. One more title here before we leave this point. It's a title here given of a minister. In its term, we derive liturgy from the Greek word into English. But in the Greek world, when this word minister was used, it, it meant a public servant 
who did his job so passionately that he would do it without pay. He believed that God wanted him to accomplish something. It's a fascinating word. I did not know that until this week. I thought, wow. It, this, is, this is, Paul calls him a minister, one who was so passionately about his job that he would do it to risk life and limb and not get paid to do it. And I don't think he was paid to do it. I think he was just sent. What a term. What truth given. So from these verses, we get the understanding that these men love the gospel. And they did things no matter what it cost. Now let me close this point by saying, God wants elders and deacons in the church and he, and he actually gives titles of elders and deacons. I don't want you sitting here going, well, I want to serve, but um, Scott said that I shouldn't chase titles. No, no, God does these things. I want to be very clear about that. I think he's doing that even now in this church, raising men up and moving them towards leadership. And I think it's a very important thing. But the one thing that you'll see of men that I believe God is raising up in this church is they didn't seek the title. They they sought the service to the king. And that's that's why God's working in their lives. So I want you to get that. And, And then for the rest of us, we just serve. We just say, Lord, what would you have me do? I want to be an Epaphroditus. Thought number two. The Christ-centered servant are more concerned with others than themselves. The Christ-centered servant, they are more concerned with others than themselves. Look at verse 26 and 27. Because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you heard that he was sick. For he indeed was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. See, I believe Epaphroditus was not tired of serving. I don't think he was homesick. I read some of this stuff in some of the commentaries. I don't think he longed for a ministry change. It doesn't seem that He's afraid to be connected with Paul, which is a deadly position. Verse 30 says that he risked his life to complete this job that, that the church in Philippi couldn't do. It seems that Epaphroditus was willing to stay with Paul, but Paul was sending him back to Philippi. Now, I believe all this because of the titles given to him. I, I don't think he's, I don't think he's, I want to go home, <laughs> guy. I think he's obedient, actually, to Paul. I think he's going because Paul knows it's best for him. He knows it's best for the church. And ultimately, Paul says, it's best for me. I can't handle the sorrow of having this man who I love dearly die next to me. There's compassion coming from all these guys. The church, from Paul, and from Epaphroditus. I think the real kicker here is that Epaphroditus was stressing over the church that was stressing over him. Isn't that amazing? He, he didn't want the church to hurt. He, he didn't want the church to go, oh man, you know, what do we do now? And, and you know, they, he didn't want them to hurt over his hurting. That's pretty selfless, isn't it? See why you get excited about a guy like this? They're hard to find in the world today. The, the world says, look at me. Be an American idol. You know, be the voice, be whatever. I mean, just, it's constant. Exalt yourself. 
Epaphroditus says, I, I don't want the church to be concerned over me. They sent me to do a job and I want to fulfill it and, and I don't want them to worry about me. I, want to just, I just want to fulfill what you have for me to do, God. You say, well, that's, these are weak men. The world would say they're weak. They're not exposing themselves and making their greatness known. Paul says, God's most glorified in my weaknesses in 2 Corinthians 12. See, Epaphroditus is stressed. And it's not just stress. Look at verse 27. For indeed he was sick to the point of death. He almost dies going to minister to the Apostle Paul. It would be like um, one of us getting up and saying, hey, I'm going to Mindanao to go visit Nilo. And when we get there, we get deathly sick. We almost die. And if you're in Mindanao and you're dying, you're in trouble. I'm telling you, we've been there. There ain't, there ain't a whole lot of help. You know, give you some fresh coconut juice and, and a Band-Aid and pray a lot for you. I, I, I could understand this in some ways. So for Paul, he's just grateful. Look at this. He's grateful that he doesn't die. Verse 27. He says, but God had mercy on him <laughs> but not only in him only, but also on me. I, I could not have sorrow upon sorrow. It is difficult going through what I'm going through. I'm enchained. I'm here. I'm not allowed to do what I believe God wants me to do. I want to be free in preaching the gospel. There's great sorrow. He hurts over the churches. Remember, he gives a great list of all the things he's been through. At the end of that list, he gives in 2 Corinthians, he says, and, and also the concern, the constant concern for the churches he had. And there's discipline issues going on in the church. He's trying to tell the Corinth church, hey, you have a man living with his mother-in-law and you haven't done anything about it? You want to talk about weight on pastors is when there's sin within the congregation and nobody's doing nothing about it? A man hurt over the church at times. And yet he says, God spared me. God gave mercy. This word mercy is a beautiful word, isn't it? We need mercy from our sins, right? Oh, we need it mercy. But we need mercy daily, don't we? And God healed. God healing Epaphroditus was a display of his mercy to not only Epaphroditus, but to Paul in the church in Philippi. What if the church lost this man? What a great loss to this church. God was merciful to everyone. Third thought. They joyfully, these Christ-centered servants, joyfully serve even while suffering. Look at verse 28. Therefore I have sent him all the more eagerly so that when you see him again, you may rejoice and I may be less concerned about you all. I like that therefore there. Since Epaphroditus didn't die, <laughs> and I have sorrow upon sorrow, I greatly joyfully send him back to you. He's praising God. He's saying, he didn't die. <laughs> and I'll get to send him back and you're going to have great joy when he comes in. Can you imagine the reception of this man back into this? He's carrying this letter. And they start to read it. And they go, you almost died? <laughs> yeah, read on a little bit. What joy. I think we experience some of this a little bit when we see missionaries come back we haven't seen for a while. 
I had a ton of joy introducing to you Christopher Clark and Darlene last week. I've got to know them, and I know the work they're doing. When I introduce Nilo when he comes home, or any one of the brothers or sisters that are overseas, it's such great joy to introduce them to you. Because here they are, they're, they're here. They've been in some crazy place around the world preaching and sharing the gospel and and now they're here there's great joy to introduce them back to have them back home for a little while back in our presence so that we can minister to them and Paul does not want this to escape he wants this to be a joyous occasion and I'm telling you when people go on mission trips and they come back we should greet them this way because not all of us could go we were maybe all of us were senders, but not all of us were goers. And so when that goer comes back, we should embrace that person and say, hey, it's great to have you home. Will you tell us what Christ was doing there? See, I think these men understood the beginning of chapter two. I think Philippi Church understood it. I think Paul understood it. And I think Epaphroditus understood it. He says in verse two, make my joy complete by being of the same mind Maintaining the same love, unity of spirit, intent on one purpose. Verse 3, do nothing out of selfish or empty conceit, by, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. And he's reminding the church, you church should rejoice that this man did not regard his own safety. He left and did something that nobody else probably could do at that point. Now, now think with me just a little bit. He went to see Paul in prison. I mean, we're trying to get our minds around this. I I go and visit men in prison on a several regular basis. I have a couple guys I'm dealing with. But I go in and show them my little badge thing, and they buzz me through, and I go and talk with those guys, and then I leave. But if a prison riot breaks out by one of the guys I'm visiting, they're not coming to shoot me. Back then, they did. And, And being associated with Paul, I wrote in my notes, get you dead. Being associated with Jesus Christ in these days gets you dead. This is not, I mean, when I first read this, I said, Lord, there's more to this. There's too much titles. There's too much stuff given here. Help me understand this. I got thinking about it. If Nero or or Caesar's household at this time starts to say, hey, we do believe this man is a riotous man. We do believe this man has caused the problems that we have here in Rome and in Philippi and Macedonia and around the world because these Jewish people are coming and accusing him and said he deserves to die. If this is true, let's get him and let's get everyone that's with him and they kill them all. That could happen. Because Paul said, if I'm to be poured out like a drink offering, Epaphroditus is there, you know, hey, here's the gift. I'm staying here to minister to you. Can I help you heal from this? What can I do for you? Can I go to the store, get you stuff? I mean, he's doing all this stuff, and they go, and he dies too, because he's his friend. Don't take this lightly, what this man was doing. He, he's like one of us, sending one of us to, to Mindanao, which is a Muslim-controlled island in a sense. And you're just there ministering to Nilo and Fele and, and to the ministry there, the Solagracia ministry. And the Muslims come in and they go, oh, you're with Nilo? Good, shoot him in the head. This is, he says, look, he risked his life in verse 30. But he says, receive him with joy. Take him back in with joy. Last thought, fourth, the Christ-centered servant. They are to be honored because they sacrifice for the work of Christ. 
They're to be honored because they sacrifice for the work of Christ. Look at verse 29 and 30. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy and hold men like him in high regard because he came close to death for for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient, which you could not do is the idea, in your service to me. That last phrase is not a rip on the church of Philippi. He was saying he was able to do what you could not do as a group. He came and accomplished it for you. It's the idea of the thought. Now, look at the very first verb there, received, receive him. Prosdecamai is the word. It is a fascinating word because it's not the normal word we see for received uh, here in the Greek where it's a different word. And it caught me off guard just a little bit. But it has the idea that you receive something with full joyful acceptance is the idea. And, And this word was used in many passages. Jesus used it to receive children this way. Remember that passage? Jesus used it to receive faithful preachers. The gospel, Um, Paul used it to receive Phoebe, um, who was sent to the church of Rome in in Romans chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. This is the word, receive these people with joyful acceptance. And Epaphroditus was to be received with this joyful honor. And he is an example of how others are to be held in high regard. Because that's what the text says. And and I like it. What I really like about this text is I don't think he's a pastor. I'm not even sure he's an elder in the church. I, I, don't, I don't know what he is because there's, there's no reference to him. He's just a man who loves Jesus and obeyed him. Does that encourage your heart? Because sometimes, you know, you think, well, it's Pastor Scott. He gets all this or Pastor Jeff or Ron or Ted or somebody. No, no, this is the Joe sit in the pew guy or gal who obeys the Lord, and God says in his word, by the Spirit of God, hold these people in high regard. Honor them. Honor them. I think sometimes we don't realize that God smiles on nursery workers, on people who clean churches, people who make a phone call and said, hey, last week Pastor Scott said to look around and see who wasn't here, and so I made a phone call to call you while you weren't here. I think he honors that. And he tells us to honor that. And, and, and I hope you're encouraged this morning that, that Epaphroditus is, is you. You who, who clean the church every once in a while or go to community group and minister to somebody. He's speaking to you today. I, I got so moved by this man and I kept equating him to people. People who write the nursery schedule and fight to try to get people in there. It's, it's a bottom line job, right? The benefits are terrible. Goldfish, all you can eat, but that's it. And here she is. And I hope you know who she is. I'm not going to tell you because you should find out asking me she calls and pray that people will come and help in this ministry I think this is what God's doing he's honoring these people he's saying they need to be held in high regard see there's a lot of texts in the Bible that tell us to honor leadership but here this text says 
honor Epaphroditus. He's a man who stepped up and served. This word risking, it's a fascinating word. It's paraboleomai. Uh, paraboleomai is the Greek word. It means to throw aside. It's an idea of that you would willingly expose yourself to danger. We get the word, you take a gamble from it. Anybody ever tell you that? Eh, you're taking a gamble doing that. Every time I put on my motorcycle helmet, I think my wife thinks that. But you're taking a gamble. Then she rides with me and she really knows how much of a gamble it is. <laughs> This is, I got into some writings on this this week that encouraged my soul so much. Epaphroditus, the word, his name, became synonymous with this term, one who loves to gamble. Remember, his name was after the goddess of love. His, that's part of his name. The rest of his name means one who takes a risk. So people, immoral people, would yell out this term when they got, wanted God to give them a lover for the night or they were gambling and ready to, roll, ready to roll dice, they would throw this name out. Pretty sad. But here's what I discovered as I read through this. Parabolani group rose in the early church. They actually called themselves a Parabolani group. And this group were known in the early church. And you know what they did? This group called themselves after Epaphroditus and wanted to be examples like this. They went into prisons. They ministered to the sick. They went to the death camps where people were abandoned to deadly disease. And they proclaimed Christ there and ministered to their needs. A whole wave of ministry to the early church came off of this man's name. I had no idea. They named it after him. Does anybody remember Nancy Wrightbull? Came down with Ebola. You remember this? Not very long ago? Her son graduated from our seminary. Uh, I taught him. Well, he was in our seminary. She is a nurse. She went right into the heart of the Ebola breakout. And if you watched any of the interviews, I mean, people were creaming her for what she did. Guess when she got better, where she went back? She turned around and went right back there. Her and her husband. Jeremy's a pastor in the Bay Area. See, there's people who still do this. And she was never been to seminary, never been to Bible school. Faithful servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and they even had a group called this. So when I see men and women through the years of ministry now, who act like Epaphroditus. They walk into things that are difficult. Go where others won't go. Man, does it encourage my heart. They say, well, Scott, I, I can't really run off to the Philippines right now. Well, can you run off to children's ministry? Work at a sound booth? Help Bob Burnham with the elderly that he does still every couple of weeks during a month. I mean, there's just so much to do. See, 
Here, I think Paul, through God's word, wants us to know that his brother, his fellow worker, his fellow soldier, risked his life for the gospel to go forth. And you go, he never preached a sermon. He never, uh, nowhere do we know that he actually preached a sermon. But he came and ministered to the one who did. Apostle Paul. Now, let me conclude. I just want to give you a couple of thoughts here. We've seen at the end of this chapter, in Philippians chapter 2, that the great Apostle Paul was willing to be poured out like a drink offering. Vaporized is the word. Right? Just pour me out on the hot altar. Let me be vaporized for you. We've seen that in verse 17 and 18. We've seen Timothy who is this silent assistant to Paul, who shares a soul with Paul, and he is like-minded, and we see nine attributes of him from 19 through 24. And then finally, we look at Epaphroditus, the -the behind-the-scenes risk-taker, Mr. Nobody, we call him, who is to be received with joy. I don't think that's all the categories in the Bible, but I think there's three really good ones there. Who are you? Or do you fit in here anywhere? Do you, do you find a category that you may be in? And, and let me say this. Not one of them is greater than the other. I cannot do what I do without other men and women around. It's impossible. None of us can. And, and it's a family. And so where do you fit in the family of God? Are you an Apostle Paul? Maybe God has sent you to go preach somewhere, go overseas, do something. Are you one who comes along Apostle Paul and gets trained underneath him and gets sent out and goes somewhere else and carries the gospel? Are you one who simply ministers to the ministers? Are you one who is a joy to the church and way you serve? Where, where do you fit in that? And I would ask you to examine that and ask the Lord what he has for you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for Epaphroditus. He was such an encouragement to me this week. I, am, I don't know the man, but I feel like I know him now. And Lord, I can't wait to meet him someday. But I think he's gonna be way up front trying to get as close to the son, to the Lord Jesus Christ as possible. And so Lord, when I get there and I'm looking for him, I know where he's gonna be. He's going to be at the foot of Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray that Grace Bible Church will raise up a lot of Epaphroditus. Men and women, boys and girls, who are gamblers for the glory of Christ. The risk takers. The ones that have been recognized and sent to do a job to work with folks that are difficult to work with or to accomplish tasks that others don't. And so, Lord, please, please, Lord, raise these men and women up for your glory, Lord. And Father, may we as a church recognize them. May we honor them and highly esteem them, as the Bible says here, as servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Lord, we thank you for this opportunity today to recognize these things in our own life and in the life of the church. So Father, help us to fulfill this so we can give you more glory and more praise. We say this in Jesus' name. Amen.